welcome to the Core Stories podcast. I'm your host, Becky Frazier, and today we have with us Laura Camp. I'm so excited for you all to hear Laura's story, to hear about her work with immigrants and refugees in our community, and to just learn a little bit more about her. She's one of my favorite people. She just has such a calming presence and just the nicest smile ever. So welcome, Laura. Thank you, Becky. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my husband Lee and I came to Otter Creek in 2002. We had three little boys when we came who are now young adults. Chandler is 25. He was actually, I have very fond memories of seeing him sitting in Gail Shrigley's Sunday school class. I think that was for second grade. And then David, who is 23, and Ben, who is 20. And all three of them have such positive memories of youth group and covenant groups. And Ben was a rising middle schooler when Dinox was hired. And just we fell in love with Dinox. And, of course, we love Rubio. Um, but we, we've been a part of so many great life groups through the years here at Otter Creek. And we'll always be so grateful for our Otter Creek community. So one of the ways that you and I have gotten to know each other is through Siloam. So Siloam is one of our ministry partners here at Otter Creek, and you work there. And so we've had the opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better through that. So tell us a little bit about Siloam, how you got there, what Siloam is. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about Siloam. It is um, truly one of the greatest privileges to work at a place like Siloam. And um, I've been there four years, I I guess four and a half now. I actually joined the staff at Salome after working with Reed Collins for 10 years and Kelly Benny, um, both of whom have been Otter Creek members or are Otter Creek members. Um, So I came from a very positive work environment with them in their pediatric office. They're both pediatricians. Um, in Franklin, and I had worked with them for a decade um, before I joined the staff at Salome. Salome is in Melrose by that Kroger, and I had driven past Salome for years not knowing what it was, but I did know what Faith Family was, and I think it's because Faith Family is better known in Church of Christ circles here in Nashville. So I'd heard of Faith Family and knew that they served people who don't have insurance. They provide primary health care for people who don't have insurance, but I had never heard of Salome. So when I did join the staff at Salome, and, and the way that worked out is that my husband, Lee, saw the CEO one day in a coffee shop, and the CEO happened to mention to Lee just in the course of exchanging niceties that he was looking for a new um, operations person and Lee said well you should talk to my wife so one thing led to another and I became acquainted with Salome and finally walked into this building I'd been driving by for years so all of that to say Salome has been around for 30 years here in Nashville it was started by a doctor and a couple of nurse practitioners. Actually, I think it was one nurse practitioner and one physician assistant and one MD, all three of whom went to church at Belmont Church. And they wanted to begin providing free primary care 
to people who lived in subsidized housing in the Edge Hill area. And that was 30 years ago. So they started off completely volunteer-based. They provided services, I think, just on Monday nights. Um, And then they added Sunday nights. And little by little, they added more days to their schedule. And they were in an apartment. They bought more apartments. So they got up to where they had three apartments that they had kind of gutted and turned into a primary care office. And... One thing led to another, and it grew into this large nonprofit ministry that um, serves about 4,000 patients per year. We prioritize the uninsured, and for whatever reason, Salome never decided to pursue this, um, but in those early days, an immigrant I cannot remember what country that immigrant was from. It was one of the Asian countries. Showed up at the Edge Hill Clinic, and he needed health care services and was given health care services and had such a positive experience, he went home and told all of his friends and family. And before Salam knew it, they were well known for providing culturally sensitive health care to refugees and immigrants. So now, all these years later... We serve patients from 80 different countries. Um, Our patient population speaks 70 different languages. And like I said, we prioritize the uninsured. That's not to say that we don't also serve patients who are born in the United States, because we do. But it's just been a tremendous privilege to work there. We have a Christian mission, which has also been a huge blessing So everyone who works there believes that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah and the Son of God and the Lord of our lives. And um, that mission serves as a glue that glues us all together. So we go to different denominations, but we're all Christian. And we lead, uh, we open the day with prayer every day. We open every staff meeting with prayer. We open every departmental meeting with prayer. Part of my work as the COO is I'm the HR director. So sometimes I have to have tough conversations with staff, but almost always those tough conversations either begin or end in prayer. And it just makes the work so much more integrated with my own day-to-day life and experience. So it just feels like everything's integrated, my work, my faith, my family life. That's been a real blessing. That's great. So when a refugee comes to Nashville, they almost always walk through Siloam stores, right? That's right. Because they are required to have a health check, and Siloam is one of the only places in Nashville where, where they're able to do that. Am I, am I remembering that That's exactly that right. We're the only place in Nashville. When a newly arrived refugee arrives in Tennessee, they get relocated in one of four, or, or they have to have a health screening in one of four cities, Nashville, Chattanooga, Knoxville, or Memphis. And so for any refugee who's being resettled in or around Nashville, they'll come through our clinic for their initial health screening and to get all of their immunizations. And if they already have medical conditions, we start managing those medical conditions for them. If they don't 
have underlying medical conditions. It's just a health screening, but it includes a behavioral health consult and a pastoral consult. One thing we have found is, I think everybody knows this, being a refugee is a hardship. Mm -hmm. And going through refugee camps and waiting and waiting and waiting through the you know, one and a half to three year minimum screening process and being placed in a refugee camp for at least that period of time, but usually it's much, much longer. And all of this, because you've, you're fleeing a war-torn country, we've found that our patients show up with spiritual, emotional, and psychological um, needs, and we try to meet them where they are and address those needs on all those levels. So it's not just about physical, their physical well-being. Uh, we want to help them find well-being in those other areas too. So you mentioned a, a waiting process. So what what would that normally look like if somebody had applied to be a refugee and they ended up in the United States? What What does a typical process like that look like? Well, um, the way that I understand that it works is that once a refugee flees their homeland, they register with the United Nations Office of Refugees or United Nations Resettlement Agency for Refugees. It's a United Nations um, entity. So they register with the United Nations, and then they're referred to a resettlement country, and they don't know whether they will be resettled or what country they will be resettled to. But if the process is successful, they are referred to a resettlement country. And then then that screening process starts. And it can take, well, it does take one and a half to three years minimum. That's actually a much shorter period of time than refugees I know. I know one former refugee, and we refer to our friends who have been refugees as former refugees because a refugee isn't a permanent Mm -hmm. identification. It describes a situation that you're in that you don't stay in permanently. That, That condition changes, and they establish citizenship here. So anyways, one of my friends who is a former refugee who actually is now a co-worker at Salome, spent her entire childhood and pre-adolescence and adolescence in a refugee camp, 18 years in a refugee resettlement camp. So to say that that screening process is one and a half to three years minimum, I always think of her and think, well, for her and for her family, it was 18 years. But after that screening process is over, you know, the country has already been, they've already been referred to a particular country, then they're matched with a with an agency. And there are a number of agencies in the United States, they're all located in or around Washington, D.C., but they each have offices all over the country. And the two that I'm aware of in Nashville, the only two that are in Nashville, are Catholic Charities and NICE, that's an acronym, and I'm not going to try to remember what NICE is an acronym for, but all of that to say, they're matched with that agency, and and then once all that is set up, then they begin their departure, and the travel begins, tickets are purchased, 
and they make their way here. And as soon as they get here, one of the first things they do after the resettlement agency places them in an apartment is brings them to Salome Health for their health screening. That has to happen. It has to happen within 90 days. We try to do it within 30 days because they can't go to school or work until they've gone through that process. Yeah. What you were saying about your friend who was in a refugee resettlement camp for so long, mm-hmm. my small group here at Otter Creek was one of the, was in the National Neighbors Program mm-hmm. that Siloam does, and our former refugee family, the the father had left his homeland to go to a ref, I believe the DRC and had gone to Uganda mm-hmm. maybe and was living in a refugee camp there for twenty years. He had yeah. four children who were all born in Uganda, and, and none of them, they, they are all technically refugees from the DRC, but none mm-hmm. of them had ever even stepped foot in there. And I just thought that was right fascinating and so heartbreaking that he would have had to have waited so long to feel stable and right. get the help that he needed. Yeah, no, that's so true. Another of my former coworkers, he's gone on now to work with another organization, but he had a similar experience. He was a refugee from the Democratic Republic of Congo, but he spent very, a very short portion of his young life in Congo, and he primarily grew up in a refugee camp in Rwanda, which then fell to... Uh, war. So he had a very, <laughs> his story is just unbelievable. Yeah. But his homeland is a different place from where he grew up, which is now a different place from where he is establishing his life as an adult and starting a family. Wow. Yeah. So you gave us numbers about 80 different countries, I think. Where are the main refugees coming from currently? I know that changes based on a lot of different factors. Yes. Let me just clarify that refugees are a a big chunk of our patient population, but they're not all of our patient population. But right now, the primary countries that we are seeing refugees arrive from include Syria, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Burma and Somalia. Those are the top five right now. But you're exactly right. That changes. So different times of the year or through the years, I've watched that top three to five list change big time. Our patient population, one thing that's interesting to me, and it's a fun part of working at Salome, is that our patient population, by and large, doesn't speak English as their primary language. So about 6% of our patients would say that English is their primary language. The rest would claim either Spanish, which is about 28%, and Arabic, which is about 20, 20 to 25%. And then the remainder is all different languages and just all, all kinds of languages. And it's lots of fun to walk through the clinic and even look at my coworkers because we hire people. Uh, we want our staff to, the demographic of our staff to look like our patient population that we serve. So it's lots of fun to see all these different people dressed in all these different 
you know, ethnic clothes and some are in headdresses. You know, some women from Africa, I love their look. You know, they look like mamas from the bush in their brightly colored wraps around, you know, head wraps and head coverings. And then some are Muslim. And it's always, I like it when Muslims come through Salaam because I I think we have a lot uh, that we can learn about being around different people with different religious convictions than us as Christians. And it's always a treat to have them in the office and realize, oh my goodness, they, you know, they laugh when their child burps unexpectedly, (laughs) just like I laugh when my child burps unexpectedly. Um, so it's, it's fun to realize the, the connection just from a place of humanity with all these different people of so many different colors and languages and religions. When I have come to visit Sloan before, one of the things that I love most is there are quilt squares of all of the different flags of countries uh, of folks that you guys have served. And it just feels like such a celebration of diversity and just a you know, when I think of Siloam, the word that stands out to me is hospitality from the way that you offer medical services to the Nashville Neighbors Program. Uh, it just it just feels like the mission of Siloam is to say, welcome, we love you, you're part of us now. Yeah, it, it really is. I've been so impressed that since I've been at Salon these years, I've been so impressed that our mission and our core values, which include hospitality and include creating sanctuary and include talk of neighbors, not visitors, not, not that we're welcoming you to our country. It's we are all neighbors together who live here together. And I've been super impressed that the cult, the organizational culture and all that mission talk doesn't, is authentic. One thing that's been so cool for me about working at Salome is that because our patient population is so varied, our staff is varied. And I think about 30 to 40% of our staff was born in a different country. And so that means that our accountant is from Tanzania and our medical receptionist, the head of our medical receptionist is from Burma. And one of my favorite friends is from Egypt and has a hilarious sense of humor. And I love celebrating birthdays with them or showing up to surprise them uh, by appearing at a performance they're going to be in or they do the same for me. We all grieve together when one of us loses a family member and it's been a real treat to have authentic relationships with people from different countries who have such different experiences than I do and who don't have all the same lenses through you know don't see the world through the very same lenses through which I see the world Um, and if I didn't have that I know that my life would be much uh, less rich I grew up right here in Williamson County and I went to private school right here and the people I I had a fantastic childhood and I love the schools I attended and but it's been so fun to have inside jokes with 
an Egyptian who worships at a Coptic church and who is fasting um, during certain parts of the calendar year and, you know, learning why she's fasting and learning, you know, having a conversation about why why she celebrates Christmas differently than I do and even on a different day than I do. And I'm using this sweet Egyptian coworker as an example. She is absolutely hilarious and I love being with her. And there are so many coworkers like that and patients like that and volunteers like that. One of our volunteers that is my favorite is not even Christian. She's Muslim. And I've learned about Ramadan from her and joked with her about how strict her parents are about dating in <laughs> her culture. Um, and it's it's cool to be able to have a real relationship with people who are so different from me and have had such such very different experiences than I have. Yeah. So that hospitality goes both ways. Yeah, they I I definitely am on the winning end of that stick. <laughs> yeah. That that staff and that patient population and volunteers and, and that's one thing I'd like to say just I, I've been blown away and just humbled by volunteerism. And I do think that that's one thing I see at Otter Creek a lot in a way that we show hospitality is to show up for things and to volunteer and to serve. I've been super, um, I don't know how else to say it except humbled by the volunteers who come to Salome again and again and again to interpret, to um, help with administrative work, to RNs and MDs to provide patient care. I've been very blessed by that and humbled by that. One of the things that stood out to me when our um, when my small group that I'm in was participating in the Nashville Neighbors Program, which unfortunately had to be paused because of COVID, um, but we would go into the homes of our family that we had been partnered with, and I learned so much about hospitality from them, from the hot tea and soda and cookies and candy that were just in abundance every time we were there and just... It's just, it seems like a family that has grown up in a situation where there wasn't enough, there would be more of a mindset of scarcity, but there's not. Um, I grew up in a situation where there's an abundance and we're not as hospitable as some of these folks are. So I don't know what to say about that other than that's something that I've noticed. Yeah, I've experienced the same thing. Um, I think that for whatever reason, you know, you and I were born here in this beautiful country with such tremendous resources and wealth. And sometimes I think, how is it that I get to live the way I do? And so many around the world don't don't enjoy these things that I take for granted. I'm also reminded of that when I'm invited into the home of someone who has less than me and who is from a foreign country and inevitably I experienced what you just described, just an abundance of hospitality and graciousness. And it's almost like they're having a huge feast because 
I'm there or we're there. And again, it's humbling, uh, but it's also a real lesson to me in hospitality. They um, inevitably pull out their prettiest plates and make more food than could possibly be consumed. And I feel like a celebrated guest. So in contrast to my own sense of grumpiness or stinginess or unwillingness to open my home because I'm tired, it's always a good lesson to me in what it means to be hospitable and and the spirit that accompanies it and how grateful I am to have been in the presence of someone who's hospitable and generous and how it leaves such an impression on me that just lasts my lifetime. So what role do you think Christians have to play in the lives of immigrants and refugees here in our city? The way I see it is that we were born kind of in the promised land, and I didn't do anything to earn or merit the tremendous privilege and privileges that I enjoy getting to drink clean water and eat meat with every meal if I want and put on nice clean clothes every day and uh, sleep in a safe place where there is no war and my roof doesn't leak and I have a, a good mattress. All of those things are gifts to me that I didn't do anything to merit. And when I hear that refugees and immigrants want to come to the United States, I think, well, of course they do. Look how we live. And who am I to say, nope, this is all mine? Because I didn't do anything to build or merit this. I was born into this. And I think that as gift receivers who are children of God and utterly dependent on the goodness of God and the graciousness and mercy of God, It's inconceivable to me that we would try to hoard our gift and keep people out. I don't see any way around that, especially when we're talking about others who claim Jesus as the resurrected Messiah and Lord of their life. Mm. For me to put my own national identity above my identity as a child of God um, and as a disciple of Jesus and to look at others who are on the other side of a fence or an ocean and say, well, I belong here and you don't, but I'll, you know, at least we're both Christians. I mean, that, Hmm. uh, it's such a, it's just ridiculous to me that that would be a barrier. It's a, it's a false barrier and it's one that we don't have to participate in upholding yeah thank you for that that's powerful where do you see God at work in your life right now oh um I see God I'm at a place in my life where I'm working full-time I do have a demanding job COVID has been Hard on everybody. It's been very challenging for healthcare. Obviously, I, I'm at a place where I'm just utterly dependent on God. Sometimes, just to face the day and to face the work that lies before me each day. 
so my day begins uh, with quiet time. I have to kind of sit with my coffee and wake up for a second. But I always I have a reader that I read that's a 12-step reader with daily readings that I have found to be very powerful. I think I've read through it, I don't know, every, every year for eight or ten years now. It's called Courage to Change. And in almost every reading, I find something that is meaningful to me and pertinent to my day. And then I journal, and I try to be aware of, you know, what I'm feeling physically or emotionally or spiritually and journal about that just to practice some self-awareness. And then I spend time reading the Bible and I either use the one-year Bible schedule, and I don't read it in one year. It takes me at least two years. I split each day up into two, so it takes me two years to get through a one-year Bible schedule. Or I just meditate on a particular passage, like Psalm 103 or Isaiah 40 or Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I might just hover there for a month or two. Um, and that that's also amazing to just reread Psalm 103 or Isaiah 40, either one, over and over again. And each time something different is there for you to meditate on. But I, I found that it's gotten easier for me as I've gotten older. I think when I was younger, I felt a lot of guilt because... I knew I was supposed to be in love with God and meditate and pray, but it was, I think, so thrilling to be young and to be experiencing life and everything so new when you're young. You know, you go through all these different life cycle phases and everything's new and exciting. And I always felt this nagging sense that my spiritual self wasn't fully developed or mature or in touch with my Creator. It's so much easier as you get older (laughs) because the novelty of some of life's joys wears off a little bit. It's still very joyful, but I'm in much greater touch now with my own humanity, my own mortality, life's letdowns and disappointments. And even though I do, I, I get to be a part of a tremendously fun organization to work with that does meaningful work. Some days I would rather go back to bed. Um, and each each time I pray that God will give me what I need to face the day and do good work and show me what I need, what, what do I need to learn today or what new thing can I practice today. He, without fail, meets me where I am and gives me what I need. It, it, is, it is amazing how faithful God is each and every day. He is faithful to to that kind of request I have found well that's beautiful thank you for sharing that so if somebody were listening to this today and thinking you know I I have heard about refugees and immigrants on the news and I want to do something to help what would be their first step that you might say check this out or try this or what would you say to that person yeah Well, I love that. I think that being aware of what a refugee is and what an immigrant is um, and and why they're coming to the United States or fleeing their own countries is helpful. And I think it's helpful to be aware of what's going on in world news 
for that reason. I think we should be praying when countries are in the midst of war and when we know horrible things are happening that we need to be grieving and mourning and, you know, change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. So I think practicing that kind of awareness and making that part of our prayer is appropriate and helpful. I think it's helpful to give. There are all kinds of organizations where you can give to improve the lives or livelihood of newly arrived refugees. There are volunteer opportunities when we're not in the middle of a pandemic at places like Salome, but there are other opportunities. There are all kinds of Sheehan, who used to be at Lipscomb, has just started a, a new nonprofit uh, that ministers to refugees. There are just all kinds of opportunities to volunteer to serve refugees. Um, so those are those are three. But fourth and finally, I know that Otter Creek has a lot of CEOs and business owners, and I think it's appropriate to actively expand your job search when you're hiring and make sure you're posting your job openings in places where a variety of people groups will see them and not our standard places where people just like us will see them. And I'm happy to give anyone feedback on that if they'd like some ideas for where to post openings. But that's been one of the things that has enriched my life so much about serving the population we serve at Salome is getting to hire and then work alongside people who are from those same cultures. You know, patients, I, I, I get to meet patients sometimes, um, but the people I spend my time with are the staff who are caring for the patients. And that's been such a I just can't, there aren't words for what a blessing that's been in my life. And I'm really grateful that I work alongside people who weren't raised just like me and who don't look just like me and don't have all the same life experiences I had. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This has been fabulous, such rich conversation. And I just love everything that you've had to share with us today. So thank you. Thank you, Becky. Absolutely. Core Stories is a ministry of Otter Creek Church. You can find out more at ottercreek.org or follow us on social media at Otter Creek Church. Mm-hmm.